Podcast fam, what is up? Hey, this is a super fun conversation that I had with my good buddy, Phil Boyd. Every time I talk to him, Phil always talks about it's personal before professional. And so we'll start the conversation off usually talking about baseball because we're both big baseball guys. But then we got this idea of like, hey, why don't we just record one of our just casual fun conversations where we're talking almost all personal. There's a little bit of professional mixed in, but it's mostly personal about likes and hobbies and interests and what are you doing for self-care What's the next beach that Phil's going to go visit? All that kind of good stuff, too. So we said, hey, let's record this thing, turn it into a podcast, turn it into a vlogcast, and share it with our listeners. Hope you guys enjoy. Chase your dreams, y'all. What's up, guys? This is PC, and this is your backstage pass to the Green Room Podcast Series. What's up to everybody that happens to tune in? I know neither one of us really announced this and said like, hey, we're, we're going live today. It was just, I was on my run this morning and I got to thinking, I was like, what's something that we could do that's a little bit different? We talked about, first, we were just going to have a conversation, right? Um, and I always look forward to, you You send the most timely text messages. And I, I, I probably should tell you that more, but you'll send me a message once a week, every other week or whatever. And it's always just like, a, when I see your name on my phone, it just brings a smile to my face and we connect usually, I don't know, once a month just to talk and catch up or whatever. And so we had this scheduled and then I was like, let's just record a podcast. Right. And so then this morning I was running and I was like, well, let's just go live on Facebook too while we're doing it. Right. And just share some love, share some inspiration. So Phil boy, how you doing this morning, man? I'm doing great, man. I'm glad that you went out for a run this morning. I was on the Peloton. Uh, Lori's got a Peloton. She's probably done 150 rides. I think I'm up to 18 or something. But hey, man, that's the deal. Just we're doing stuff. And that, my brain works a lot better if I'm exercising. So I'm, I'm thrilled you had this idea. For all of our friends out there, cheers. You know, on purpose, I wore this shirt, um, this, this uh, jacket. My friends at West Park High School in Roseville, California, they just opened this year in a pandemic. I mean, can you imagine having a hope? So I just want to celebrate them. And it's just, there's so many cool things. We know there's a lot of hard things going on, but you know, there's some great moments. And, you know, I, I did assembly two days in a row, half the kids on Monday, half the kids on Tuesday, outside the football stadium. They were sitting six to eight feet apart, talking about a weird deal. And we made it work. It was so fun. So I just wanted to shout them out, say, hey, West Park, we're excited for you. Welcome to the real world. I love that, man. I, and it's so funny that you tell that story because I was just listening. I've been binging your podcast here lately, Learning for a Living podcast, which is one of my favorites. Um, and I listened to your episode with Farrah Meadows, who I just She's love awesome. with all my heart. She is awesome. Um, and then I also listened to you with my buddy, Rhett Ladner, who mm -hmm. is just, he said some really, really profound. He said a couple of things that literally like I stopped on my run today and I was like, whoa, man, like that was deep. And then I listened to Steve Bowler and I can't remember which one of those three, but you told that story about that school that just opened. Share a little bit more about that and what that was like. I know you said half of the kids came one day and then the next day, like, tell us about that. Well, I got to go back to Rhett Ladner. I mean, Rhett, you're going to be listening to this because I know you love Phil Campbell. And, and you know, when you said your, your office manager said, why are you being stupid? And it shifted your whole, do you know how many people have told me, they've sent me notes going, that was brilliant because we do that. We get caught up in what we think we ought to do. And, and when your office manager said, Rhett, why are you being stupid? And you went, you're right. That's not me. I'm trying to live up to something else. And, and I just thought, you know, um, and so the way it worked, uh, West Park, they just sent me a note. I've worked with uh, folks on their staff over the years. And they just said, hey, are you available? And because their high school is right next to where my dad lives within 10 minutes, I was like, sure, I'd love to. And because we got to do something physical. For those of you that have been going to work every day and working with kids, or some of you have been doing the hybrid off and on, for guys like PC and I, man, we're, if someone says, hey, come to dinner, we're there, man, because we're trying to get out of our own house. Our wife's like, go, man, stay. Because, you know, I love Lori. She loves me. But at a certain point, she's like, don't you have a trip? And so that gave me a chance to go to Roseville and spend a weekend with my dad. And yeah, the way it worked is they brought, they had 600 kids in their school. 300 of them came on Monday. The teachers created a gauntlet, gave them some glitter and swag. And then kids got in the stadium and the student council put on a little pep rally with some fun games and everything's socially appropriate. 
And I talked for about 30 minutes about what kind of school could they create. And um, it was really cool. And Ron Severson, one of my buddies who was the superintendent who created that school, worked on it for years. He retired a year before it opened. He was there and he goes, Phil, man, I've seen you speak a lot of times. That was the toughest situation and it worked. When the kids were such, they were awesome. Freshmen, sophomores, leaning forward, nodding, listening. So, hey man, and plus it was sunny that day. It was absolutely gorgeous. And uh, so, yeah, so West Park, they did it right. It was really cool. Go Panthers. That's so cool, man. And like you said, yeah, just to try to get back to some sense of normalcy and just getting back on the road and let's get in front of kids, let's get in front of educators. And I know you're the same way. Like I miss that so much, man. Speaking of traveling, this is a question I would love to get. And, and I love having this conversation with all kinds of people. What about your top five favorite cities? Oh, man. Well, you know, here's the deal. And my buddy Bill Cordes would laugh because a lot of speakers, they go to a city, they speak, they go to a hotel, talk to their wife, friends, whatever, and then they Netflix until they go to bed. That's not me. I'm a seven, eight on the Enneagram or, you know, I don't know what my Myers-Briggs thing is, but I love to do stuff. I'm an adventurer. I hitchhiked around the country when I was in college. I asked Lori to marry me after only knowing nine days. I like to be out. And so when I think about a city, you know, I'm thinking, I love the Scottsdale area. There's so much to do in Scottsdale. I'm a golfer, so you go get nine holes. You know, downtown New York. I was afraid of New York till my son Cody moved there. But man, when you have a sense of, of what's going on to walk um, the city and just without fear, but just to go, this is really cool. Um, you know, some of the cities have water. I love Pittsburgh. I went on a baseball tour with my buddy Dennis about three years ago. I fell in love with Pittsburgh, man, that three rivers area. When you get up on the cliff looking down, I've never ridden that like that, that elevator that goes up, but I've been up there and looked down. Um, those are three that come to mind. San Francisco is incredible to walk around San Francisco, downtown LA, uh, San Diego, like the Italian area. Um, just some of those cities because the thing about San Diego when you go for a run if you're downtown you go from like that Italian area and then you go onto the water and then out there by um, by uh, the Nazarene Church Point Loma just spectacular so those are some for me how about you well, tell me about your cities I love it well I'm a huge Pittsburgh fan myself I went there um, I'm a nerd like this but always name my trips um, so it was this trip actually my brother went it was a whole like family trip that went on this and we called it the footsteps of our fathers because we went to Washington DC, which is yep. one of my favorite cities. I just love how it's laid out. It's easy to navigate and just the history that's there. Right. Um, so love DC. We went to Gettysburg. We went to, and I can't think of the name, the city where the other plane crashed on nine 11, but we went to that, um, to the field there and the monument wasn't all the way finished yet, but we got to see the makings of the initial part of that. And then we went to, to Philadelphia um, and it's funny because that's where my brother actually got engaged. He asked his wife to marry him at Independence Hall. So wow. I was telling that, that he lost his independence at Independence Hall. So every time that I'm in Philly, I always take a picture of it. And I'm like, guess where I'm at? <laughs> <laughs> and awesome. there's a couple of times that he won't like recognize it or whatever. And I'm like, okay, I'll keep this between me and you, right? Like we won't, yeah. we won't let Miranda know about that. Um, but then we went to Pittsburgh. And in my mind, Pittsburgh was like coal mines and dust and smog and all this stuff. And oh my gosh, Phil, you know, you're traveling on the interstate and you go through the mountain and you come out of that mountain and it is just like the most beautiful thing that I may have ever seen in my entire life, how that city sits down there and it's just the bridges that are everywhere. And oh my gosh. And of course, we're going to talk more about baseball, but PNC Park, that's my oh. favorite yard like that I've ever, it is just gorgeous oh my gosh it's so cool um and i had one of my buddies i say one of my buddies really one of more one of matthew's buddies who play he played ball with at middle tennessee state michael McHenry was a catcher for the pirates for a long time played for the pirates played for the rockies for a few years as well so we actually got some tickets and got to go to see a game sit out in the left field bleachers like we just had the biggest time so pittsburgh's on my list i would put washington dc on my list i'm a huge new york city fan um i, I love all the different cultures and ethnicities and like the foods, we would always take a group of kids on a field trip to New York City every single school year. And so you're taking these 16, 17, 18 year old kids from Portland, Tennessee, and some of them had never even been to Nashville, right? And then all of a sudden you take them to New York City and you get on the subway, you land in LaGuardia, you get on the bus, the Q70 bus to go to the subway, you grab the subway and you ride, pretty good ride under the river, and then you get into Manhattan. And you come up out of that subway exit 
and just the looks on their face. Like I always wanted to be in the front of the line because yeah. I wanted to be able to turn around and I wanted to see those reactions. Yeah. And I, you know, I think we talk about this a lot. There's this whole world out there to explore. And so many people live in this little five mile radius and they don't realize, you know, there's people that will always say, they say this all over the place, but in Portland, they would always say only in Portland, you only see that in Portland. And right. as, as soon as somebody says that, that tells me instantly, you don't travel because you know, there's crazy stuff that happens everywhere that you go. Right. You know? Um, so no, I would put San Antonio on my list. Mm -hmm. Whoever thought of the river walk, like, yeah. yeah, what an idea, like, why does every city not have a river walk? That is so cool. And it's so fun. And then San Diego, like you can't go wrong there mainly because of the tacos, right? Yeah. Like they have unbelievable food out there, especially if you like tacos. So I, I would definitely say San Diego as well. You're talking about speaking and it being a, a, a strange setup because you're outside, the kids are socially distanced. What about the most awkward thing, the most awkward moment for you on stage? You know, I've only had twice in my 30 some years that I couldn't finish my talk because the kids were so disruptive. One, I was five minutes into it and I just turned to the guy and he could never get them under control. So, I, um, but, um, you know, it was, you know, I've had to deal with someone's had a seizure and we had to stop and they got care. Um, I've had to deal where I was in New Jersey one time and there was a fight after I got done. I mean, I was talking about your attitude and all that. And the kids told us, no, it was a great assembly, but he wouldn't shut up. So I went over to address it. That might've been, it was funny. This kid's going by his hands by his back and the vice principal going, he looked at me, that was a great assembly. And I'm like, that might've been the most awkward thing. I mean, great school going great, but he wanted to address that kid who was being disrespectful. So that might've been one of the most awkward, um, Another time where I, I was supposed to have 45 minutes, they talked so much before I got nine minutes. And I looked at the, the activities guy and go, what do I do? He says, you got to be done in nine minutes. I'm like, okay, man, what do you do? So those are a couple. How about you? Oh, man, that's, I can feel your pain. I've been on both sides of the shortened time thing. Uh, there was at our last physical Jocelyn's Renaissance conference, we had George Kuros, who was opening for us. And so... Of course, Mike Wolf comes out first and he does his thing. And then I come out next and I got a, some things to talk about. But the clock, Mike went long. Um, he had so much cool stuff and new things to share and instructions and all this good stuff. And George Curls is over on the side and he's just pacing, you know, yeah. back and forth. And I don't know if you've ever seen him speak before or not, but he's just phenomenal. So I've been on that side of it, too. So I totally feel your pain on that. I was in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, best tamales I've ever had yeah. in my entire life, by the way. There's an unbelievable tamale place there in Tucson. Uh, but I was in Tucson, Arizona. It was a Jocelyn Renaissance tour stop. So me and Mike, and we're in this big gym. So we got all the kids, all the educators in the gym. And so the way those work is I speak, and then we have a short break, and then Mike speaks. And then after that, I'll take the educators to a different room, and Mike keeps the students in that main room. So he does a student leadership breakout. I do an educator breakout. So we went over to the main part of this campus, went into this auditorium, had an upper deck in there, but there weren't that many educators to fill the upper deck. It, we were just down there in, in the bottom. And so I'm on the stage, I'm talking, and I kind of heard a little sound up in the rafters, but I didn't like think a whole lot about it or whatever. And then out of the corner of my eye, Phil, something just comes hurling towards me. And how it missed me, I have no idea, but I kind of like jump back a little bit, whatever. Well, a kid who wasn't involved in the assembly, he was just a student at the school and it was lunchtime. And he had gotten the idea that he was gonna disrupt whatever it was that was going on in here. So he took his little bowl of ice cream and snuck mm -hmm. into the upper deck and mm -hmm. he chunked that thing at me. And I mean, he had to have missed me by that much. I've got a picture on my phone of the splatter of the ice cream that was over there. And when it first happened, I thought that it was Mike. And the guy's like playing a joke or whatever. And I was like, because like, you know how it is on the road. Like, yeah, it's kind of monotonous. And so you find different things to do to pass the time and mess with each other on stage. Or we would always have a word. We would have a word that you had to work into your speech oh. that day, right? Yep. Like, whatever, it, just something just crazy. And so you have to say it. And then you're trying to say it without laughing, you know, whatever. And so I, I, I was like, Maybe that was Mike that was doing, but that was a little over the top, like throwing ice cream at me from the upper deck. But then all of a sudden here come the administrators and, you know, the walkie talkies and all that good stuff or whatever. Luckily he missed. Um, 
because that would have been kind of awkward speaking with ice cream all over me. But but yeah, so that that was my weirdest moment on the stage so far. Well, I've got one for you. I've been thinking about this. Um, what is something, you know, Brooks is what, 11 or 12 now? Oh, gosh, he thinks he's 18. He, <laughs> yeah, he's 11. 11. So when you fast forward seven years and he's going to move on at some point, some kids leave at 18, some at 21, whenever he leaves the house, what, what are a couple skills or things you would like him to have? The reason I said, because when my oldest son, Cody left, I had to go to my buddy who's a family counselor and say, dude, I'm, I'm worried. And he talked me through it and he says, no, you're fine. And Cody's thrived ever since. What are the things you'd like to, to gift your son in a way that he has some lifetime understanding skills, whatever. What are you thinking? Man, that's a great question. I think that's a million dollar parenting question, right, Phil? Um, and that's something I'll be honest with you that I struggle with a lot. Um, I grew up, I did not go without by any stretch of the imagination, but we were far from being affluent either, yeah. right? And I, the first time I ever got to go to Disney World, I was 16 years old. I paid $252.50. And I remember that, like, because it was a huge moment for me. I got to go with my best friend and his family, um, you know, stayed in their hotel room or what, but that was a huge deal to get to go to Disney World. And now Brooks thinks that he runs Disney World, right? right. He thinks that him and Mickey are, are right here. And so it's that perspective. And, and so I think probably the biggest thing that I want him to be able to take is empathy. And being able to understand that in a lot of ways, he won the parent lottery, mm -hmm. right? And, and that's, you know, we talk about that a lot and, and you don't get to choose who your parents are and who your parents aren't. And so I, I think just for him is to keep him grounded and to keep him to have that empathy to understand that not every kid gets to go to Disney World, right? Not every kid flies on planes and gets to go with dad to Pittsburgh for the National Student Council Conference or to wherever it is that you're going, you know, doing those things. And so, you know, there's different things. Anytime, like we're talking about New York City earlier. Um, so the last time that we went there, I think it was two years ago. And so he had to make goodie bags, Ziploc bags full of little snack bars and hygiene products and all those types of things. And he had to give out all 12, 15, however many it was to homeless people that we would see while we were walking around in New York City. And he did it. Like I was there. I obviously was like in the vicinity to watch him, but I wasn't, I didn't hold his hand. I didn't walk up to those men and women, whatever. Like he had to walk up to them himself and say, hi, I'm thinking about you. Merry Christmas. I hope you stay warm. You know, here's something to, to help get you through. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, I, I hope that that helps. Um, but again, it's that, it's that perspective thing. I'm able to provide things for him that, I didn't get to have, right? And that's not a bad thing because again, that makes me who I am. Right. But at the same time, I want to make sure that he's grounded enough um, to realize again, that not everybody gets to have all the things that you get to have. So I would say empathy. Number one, I would say work ethic. Number two, I, I think that's the differentiator um, between average and great is, are you willing to grind? Are you willing to put in the hours? You know, like you see it all the time. There's, there's young people, there's old people. Um, that have all the talent, all the ability in the world, but there's always an excuse as to why they can't be successful. It's kind of like weight loss. And people are always looking for these magic weight loss tricks and, and all this, but there's really not a magic trick. There's not a trainer. There's not a drink. There's not, it comes down to exercise and eat right. Mm -hmm. Right. And like, and we all know that if you want to win in life, you got to go out there and you got to grind, right? There's some learning that comes along with it too. And so I would say empathy and work ethic. Those would be the two biggest things I would say that I hope that he takes away when he's 18. Yeah, that'd be cool. Well, if that's all he gets, that'll give, that'll be explosive. And you don't, that's not all you get. You know, you, you get a home of love and consistency and he knows who's making his PB and J. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Or he'll pretend that he eats supper and then 30 minutes later, I'll hear the microwave going off so we can have some uh, buttered popcorn or whatever. And I'm like, how can you be hungry? We just ate, dude, whatever. But, you know, that's that's his uh, that's like his, his brand. Dad, his dad ate a lot. So here's the question. People want to know, what do you drive? Do you, are you a are you a Honda Accord guy? Are you a pickup truck guy? What 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 is it you get into every day and drive? Yeah, that's so funny that you asked this too, Phil. So I am a Jeep Wrangler guy. I um, I got a Jeep, a 1998 Jeep Wrangler as soon as I graduated from high school. I've had it ever since. Um, it's got 100 and probably 75, 80,000 miles on it. So not like crazy. Um, 
but I'm, I'm a, I've always, I've, I've just always loved Jeep Wrangler. So I've had a Jeep Wrangler forever. Well, I moved to Minnesota about a year and a half ago and my Jeep did not like the move and decided that it was just going to break down. And I swear that it was in the shop more than it was in the driveway uh, for the first six, seven, eight months that I lived here. So I was like, okay, I'm going to break down for the first time since 1998. I'm going to buy a new vehicle. So let's back up a few years. Um, I was in Montgomery, Alabama, flew in there, went to the car rental station. I think it was a budget car rental station at the time. And it was late. Like, you know, it's one of those things like you're just ready to go and get to the hotel and go to bed. And so I'm talking to the young lady that's there and she says, well, your car's in C3 or whatever. And so I turn around and I look in C3 and it's this fancy, crazy sports car. And I said, no, ma'am, I don't, I don't, that, that's not me. Like, I didn't reserve that. Like, I'm like an intermediate car guy, right? You know, I'm not in the premier cars, right? She's like, no, that's the last car that we have. That's you. And I'm like, all right, whatever. I'm not a car guy, Phil. I don't care about cars. I don't know anything about cars. Like, they don't do anything for me. I get into this car, which was a Dodge Challenger. And it's got the little push button start thing. And I put my foot on the brakes and I hit that little button and that thing goes, Whoa. Yeah. And I wanted a Challenger. No. And so fast forward back to moving to Minnesota, my Jeep's broken down, whatever I break down. I'm like, all right, this is it. And so now my Jeep is still running. It's back up and it's good to go. But I also have a 2016 Dodge Challenger. And it's, uh, I'll tell you this, Phil, when you put the windows down and the sun, the, the sunroof back on that thing, and I'm cranking some whiskey Myers out of there and running on some back roads, it'll make an old guy feel pretty cool, man. You know what? But the question is, you have to park it this time of year, don't you? Because it's rear wheel drive. Snow country is like, dude, you live right. in Minnesota, man. Right. My neighbor, his name's Tom. He's a super cool dude. He uh, he saw me come home in it, whatever. Saw it a couple of days later. And he was like, you know what you've done? I was like, what are you talking about, man? He's like, you can't drive that thing for six months out of the year here. And sure enough. So, yeah, so it sits in the garage. But like I said, I got the Jeep out there. Like it's it'll still get me where I need to go to. So, no. It's no, good. anybody who lives like I'm wearing a shirt today from PEI, my friends at Bluefield, and I was there in December last year, and, and I had to miss a day because of snow and ice and wind. And those people don't drive Dodge, Dodge Challengers up there, man. They see them, <laughs> they're like, "Yeah, that's a Dukes of Hazard car," and no, that's a PC car. So. Oh, that's too funny. I got some people saying hi, man. Chris Joy, who's a yearbook rep out in Southern California. I don't know if you know Chris or not, but he's an awesome, awesome guy. Bridget Adams, who works in the Newport News School District in Virginia, just a phenomenal, phenomenal lady and educator. Mark Flickinger, who is a Jostens rep in Indiana. He's a huge baseball guy. Janice Talley. Um, super cool to see her name pop up. We actually went to school together, like way back, like elementary school together, yeah. way back in the day. My mom is watching. So hi to mom as well. All right. I got some questions for you. These are either or questions. We'll just go rapid fire through these things. Okay. You ready? Yep. All right. We're talking about football, pro or college? College. For baseball, I know you're a huge baseball guy like I am. Designated hitter or no DH? No. Would you rather? No, not a designated hitter guy. I'm, I'm with you on that. Would you rather go to Coachella or to the College World Series? I'm saying it again. I, I froze up there for a sec. Would you rather go to Coachella or the College World Series? Oh, College World Series. Definitely. Not even close, right? Okay. Uh, the Beatles or the Stones? Uh, the Stones. The beach or the mountains? Oh, the beach, no doubt, man. I love the mountains. I've lived in them most of my life, but the beach, I'm a water guy. I'm in the water almost every time. All right. Now we're talking about pizza. Deep dish or thin crust? Deep dish. Guitarist, if you have to pick your favorite between these two, Angus or Slash? Slash. Coke or Pepsi? Uh, Coke for sure. Pepsi, nah. Wings, are you bone in or bone out? Um, bone in, got to work for it. Okay. And last one, another pizza question. Fruit on pizza. Yes or no? No. Pineapple, <laughs> maybe, but man, uh, you know, there's, there's two ways to answer that question. One is health or the other is flavor and like deep dish. You know, I usually order thin because I don't want the carbs, but you know, if you're talking about preference, okay, your turn, man. All right, here you go. Okay. So beach or the mountains. 
beach and mountains. Okay. At Disneyland, would you go to California Adventure or the Disneyland Park? Basic Disney. I'm going to tell you something that's probably going to blow your mind. Phil, I've never been to Disneyland. I've been to Disney World in Florida, like uh, Buku times, but I've never been to Disneyland. Wow. That, and now it's closed, so you, you're not going to do any time real soon. Right. Okay. Um, if you went for a vacation, just something unique and different, would you go East Coast or West Coast? Oh, man. I'm going to go West Coast. All right. San Diego or Seattle? I mean, those are two parts of the West Coast that are very different. I'd go San Diego. Okay. Now, when it comes to ballparks, you said, hey, we know anybody that knows you knows you're a big Braves fan, but you said you love the Pittsburgh Stadium. So if you were going to take your son to a ball game, sit there, and I don't know if Tara would want to go, but if you're going to sit, which of the parks you want to go to? Atlanta, a new stadium, what, two years old, or Pittsburgh with the arch in the background? Oh, man, that's tough. Um, obviously, I'm a diehard Braves fan. I like literally have lived and breathed Atlanta Braves my entire life. But I'll also be completely honest in that the atmosphere, the environment there isn't like the best that I've ever seen. Um, Pittsburgh was really cool. The New York Mets environment is really cool. Um, Chicago Cubs, uh, St. Louis Cardinals, they are, I would say those for um, my favorite environment that I've been to and actually seen a, a game live was Boston. Uh, that was that was super, super cool. And they have a cool thing that you can do before the game where you can get on the field for batting practice. And then they take you up on the green monster during batting practice too. Like it's, wow. it's super cool. Yeah, yeah, that was an awesome place. If you're not a baseball fan, the green monster is a left field wall. That's what, it must be 30 feet higher. It's just crazy. It's uh, Yeah, yeah, super cool. Yeah. Um, what... So let's talk about that wife of yours. What do you do that she loves or enjoys? What is something you can do that she goes, oh, thank you so much. She just appreciates it. <laughs> oh, man. Um, that's a great question. Um, probably just helping around the house, I would say, I would think, you know, just the little things um, and just trying to contribute to, you know, I'm, I'm huge on when I speak about breaking down stereotypes and breaking down not just from like a home perspective, but just a life in general perspective. And I think, you know, there's so many stereotypes that go along with being married and husband and wife and who does what, and who cooks and who takes the trash out and all that good stuff. So I would say, yeah, just, just the little contributions of laundry and dishes and the yard and taking the trash, like those types of things that I think that would be the answer to that. All right. Which household chore do you hate to do you try to like find some reason for Tara or Brooks to do it because you don't like to do it <laughs> oh that's a good question too Phil. Right, I'll help um, you dishes or clothes fold the clothes or do the dishes I'll, I'll go putting away the clothes I don't like the the folding them. What I have, yeah, yeah. putting let's let's talk about putting away the clothes, right? Like I'll fold them, put them in the basket or whatever. But then getting them where they need to go, like that's another story. Yeah, cool. So, what are you reading right now? Are you a reader? You know what? I used to be a huge reader. I used to read like all the time. Um, I haven't read as much when I wrote my dissertation and had to do my literature review. I thought I was going to die. Like it just like, it like scarred me for life in terms of like reading and stuff. So I don't read nearly as much as what I should or what I would like to, but I do have a cool book here from my buddy, Mark Brown um, called choose to be you. I don't know if you've gotten a copy of that yet or not, but Mark has an unbelievable story around just who he is as a person, just a phenomenal, phenomenal guy and educator, but a lot of it revolves around mental health. Um, so yeah, that, that's what I'm tackling right now. Good. Yeah, no, I've read it. Love Mark. He's just what a great human being and just a dad. What a great time alive for the two little ones and all the cool stuff. You talk about a guy who is modeling, taking care of yourself. I mean, I don't know if you saw his picture. I think it was yesterday where, you know, not working right now. He's like snug with the kids and watching. And that, that's one of the things I think, how do we give ourselves permission during these two weeks to rest, refresh, um, and Mark, if, if you're tuned in here at all, congratulations, man, because that's that's how it's done. Is And I got to believe folks on his staff are watching that going, yes, good, because some people, they almost need permission from their administrator or their leader to say, I'm going to take some time off. 
Yeah, totally, totally. I talked to, um, I was talking to Joe Sanfilippo yesterday, mm -hmm. who is another like, oh my God, the energy that that guy has, like he blows me away every single time, but he models what he preaches, right? And he's talking about, I can't tell my teachers to take rest and take a break if I'm not doing the same thing. And so that's exactly what Mark's doing too. And I love it, man. Well, Cheyenne, who works in our office, worked for a number of years for Intuit, and she she was asked to run their We Care and Give Back program of, they wanted their, their employees, 8,000, to give, I think, eight hours a month to the community. Go give blood, coach a team, read in a class, whatever. And she went to the CEO and said, look, if you do this, they'll, fall. and he, once he did it and they videotaped it, they thought, okay, we can do that. That's pretty high up, man. He's a CEO of 8,000. And we got superintendents, you know, Bob Nelson in Fresno, he must have 75,000 employees and that's not the biggest district in the country. So when someone says I'm taking the week off and they mean it and they model it yeah. or people just go, I didn't hear from him for a week. That's pretty powerful. That's a huge deal, huge deal. I want you to talk about, you've got a huge project that you're working on right now that I am super excited about. You're talking about what you're reading. You're working on a book. Talk about that, man. Well, some of you that are there know I've been talking about this for a year. People who can write a book in a couple of weeks or a couple of months, I'm so jealous of you because this book has been something we've been working on for two years. We actually worked on it for real um, directly. June and I, who helped me write the first book, School Culture by Design, we worked on it from January until August. So she finally threw her hands up and she said, look, we started essentially writing a giraffe and it became a hippopotamus. She goes, it's so different. And JJ and Dean and I, who are co-writers, are like, you're right, because we keep learning stuff. We, we go so many lessons. And so we're just trying to get it done. It's called 100 Conversations. And we're trying to figure out what are those 100 conversations that we have every day, every week um, with our staff, with the folks we work with, whether it's at a school, whether it's a company, whether it's at home. I was doing an in-person thing in August at a small school in North Carolina, and I just pulled them aside for 15 minutes to kind of explain the concept. And I had a couple of the parents say to me, that is exactly what I need to do with my kids. Because we have conversations with our kids. Some of them are verbal, some of them are nonverbal. And so that's what we're trying to do. We, we actually have a workshop we're designing. And we're actually doing it with a couple schools this winter as a prototype. We did it with a, a school district in Illinois in the fall where we took them through a series of hour and a half, two hour meetings. And so that's what we're creating because a lot of folks are like, we need this information. How do we get it? So thanks for asking. But that is, uh, again, those of you that can write a book, sit down and write it in a couple of weeks or a month or two, I'm jealous because that's not how my brain works. We're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. We just need to get my Earl Room told me years ago. And some of you know Earl was the father of student activities, a brilliant man. He must have written 20 books. He said, when you get done writing, you look back and go, oh my gosh, that's wrong, that's wrong. He says, no, start writing the next one, start writing the next one, start writing the next one. Yeah. So Darren and Steve and Mark and those of you who've been writing these books, write the next one, man, write the next yeah. one. That's what I need to listen to myself because that's the struggle I'm having. Uh, those of you know this book I just happen to have, it's called The War of Art, not The Art of War, The War of Art. Pressfield talks about resistance, all the things that get in the way of us doing our work. And it, I, it's only 140 pages in there. Look, this page here hardly has anything written on it. Folks, you can get through this. It's so true. It's about resistance. What gets in our way of getting those projects done? So, yeah. How about you? What are you working on? Oh, man. So we were talking a little bit before we got onto the air, um, really ramping up social media content, um, yep. video content, those types of things. Um, one of the things that, you know, I, I had the opportunity to work with Mike Smith so much, but especially early on, he really molded a lot of the things that I do. And he talked about the, the center point of who you are and then all the spokes that come off of that, right? And so we would literally draw that diagram. And so if PC's in the center of that, what are the spokes that are coming off of that from speaking to YouTube, to social media, to um, nonprofits, to what are the things that you want those spokes to be, to books, like we're talking about with writing and everything. So that's something that, you know, work's just been crazy. Um, and it's occupied a ton a ton of my time but over this next couple of weeks here i'm really hoping to focus back in on that diagram and what are some things that i can do better um personal brand business brand nonprofit, like those those types of things there with that so yeah so those are some things that i'm excited about i've got a couple of different book ideas but like you said it's a matter of sitting down and executing 
on those. And you know what that process is like, like that's, that's a long process. Um, so yeah, there, there's a lot of, uh, there's always wheels turning in this head of mine. That's for sure. You can't always tell that, but there's always the wheels turning up there. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about, let's talk about travel, Phil, because you travel a yep. ton, just like I do. Talk about what was the worst travel experience that you've had? Like, what was like just a crazy travel story? You know, it turned out, yeah, to go from a worse to a turned out. Um, here's the deal. There's a book called Third Door Thinking by Tim Banyan. I haven't read it yet, but the concept is when you run into a struggle here, you go to struggle there, struggle there. Um, I've had those flights where I waited three hours for my flight and then I got bumped off the plane because I had lowest status. This was 20 years ago. And so I had to fly into a nearby city and drive six hours to get there that morning. And I try never to tell the client because that's not their story. They, am I there? And so I got to the hotel at four in the morning and I got up at 630 and I was on the stage at eight. What happened again about a year ago in August, I spent the day in Sacramento got done about one, went to the airport and three o'clock flight to Denver and then to Nashville and then well, guess what? Get to Sacramento Airport, doesn't work. So they can't get me to Denver in time to get to Nashville. Sir, can't do it. Well, that's the way they think. I'm a third door thinker. I'm like, okay. So I go sit in a corner with my cell phone. I'm like, okay, what could you... So I figured out if I waited three hours in Sacramento, I could fly to LA, wait three hours there, catch an 11 o'clock flight, and gets me to Nashville at 5.30 in the morning. I drive to my hotel. They're like, you're a little late, aren't you? No, I'm early. And so... I go in the fitness room and I work out because, you know, this life, it's about energy. And yep. so I worked out for a half hour, 35 minutes, went back, showered. And uh, at the airport, I got a tea, big tea, vente. That's I don't drink coffee. I drink tea. So then after I worked out, I go to Starbucks, get another tea. I get to the the, the, the deal and I just go through all the beginning. Okay. And the superintendents talk for five minutes and they'll introduce you. So I don't have time to go to the bathroom. So I'm like, okay, well, the superintendent talks for 30 minutes because they do that sometimes. And um, then they introduce me and I'm about halfway through my program. I'm like, folks, I've never done this before, but I got to go. And they're like, right back there. Luckily there was a bathroom on the stage, thousand people in the audience, man. I yeah. remember come back now i'm coming back thinking okay do i tell them why just keep going with your talk you know i did and they handled it well then i went to my workshop and half of them came to the workshop which was a good thing that meant the keynote went well but i thought later i almost wish i would have told them yeah because for them to recognize that yeah stuff happens and for us speakers sometimes it's travel but for them as educators, as a teacher or an office worker or the custodian or an administrator, there's going to be stuff that happens. And I think the more we tell the kids, the more they love us. And I think had I said, you know, folks, I had to fly overnight because of some flight changes, half of them go, oh, that happened to me. And then if I'd have said, and I had too much to drink, instead of having a small tea, I had two big ones, they'd have been, I've done that before. <laughs> right. Mark Sharonbrock said a couple of years ago, I went to his boot camp. He said, everybody's waiting for the time when you talk about them. They're sitting there because they're looking for that connection. And I missed an opportunity to say, hey, you know what? I had an overnight flight, didn't choose it, but here I am. And I had to go to the bathroom in the middle of my talk because I had too much to drink. And every teacher would have gone, oh, because, you know, you have that moment like, I got to go kids hang on, you know? And so that's one of those deals of, yeah, travel and opportunity got a little weird. So how about you? Oh, totally. That, that's so funny. That's a great story. Um, oh man. I would say I've had two, um, you know, there are certain airports that are horrible in terms of the time that it takes to get from the gate when you land to the rental car station. Yeah. My personal least favorite is Baltimore. Oh my God, it takes forever to get from the airport to the rental car state. And then when you're trying to get back to catch your flight, then you got to do it the opposite way, mm -hmm. right? So I can't even remember where I was. I think I was at Cape and Lopen High School in Lewes, Delaware, which is right on the ocean. Beautiful school. Nikki Miller's the principal there. Like, I love that place. And it's about two and a half hours from the airport. And I knew that if I just hauled tail to get back to the airport, I was going to have a chance to catch a flight to get home in time to see Brooks's baseball game. And so I am floating, 
down the highway, right? Get to the rental car place, whatever, get checked in, all that good stuff. It's one of those times when there's not a bus there waiting to take you. So then you're waiting on the bus and you're like looking at your cell phone and you're like, oh my God, can we just get there or whatever? So then I get in there, get up to the place. Um, I had to change my ticket. So I get to the gate at Southwest. I always fly Southwest. So you're talking about not being priority. That's one of the things Mike taught me that. I always fly the same airline so that right. you can be priority. So that like when you want to make changes and stuff. So the lady's like, she's super nice. Gives me change. She's like, you're going to have to hurry, blah, blah, blah. So I'm OJ and, you know, through it, whatever. And I get up to the gate and I can see my plane backing away from the gate. And it was just like, Oh, like literally I needed maybe 45 seconds, right. Um, to be able to catch that flight. So that sucked because I, like I was hoping to be able to get back and to surprise him and to show up at the ball game or whatever. The other one also happened in Baltimore, but this one was more about perspective. I was in Connecticut. I was doing an event there um, for Erica Mativier, who's one of my favorite yearbook reps on the Jocelyn side and huge winter storm was coming in. I was literally the last flight that got out of Hartford um, and I had to connect in Baltimore on my way to Nashville. So get into Baltimore, had a little bit of time to kill. So grab something to eat, whatever, probably got like a peppermint mocha from Starbucks. And then I'm waiting at my gate. We get lined up, you know how you do it with Southwest. You're lining up on both sides of the things or whatever. And then we waited and we waited and we waited. And I'm like, I just, you know how it is on Friday afternoon. Like you just want to go home, man. Like I just want to get home. And I, I was just so, and I'm just like, what is going on? Like, what, what is the delay? Is it mechanical? Is it whatever? Well, then I look out and this, this gets me every time I talk about it, they had a casket of an American soldier that had been killed overseas. And so they were waiting on the transfer um, with his, I can't remember if it was a staff sergeant or one of his commanding officers that was flying with him to take him to Nashville to meet the family. And it was one of those aha moments for me of here I am and I'm like, getting angry and I'm getting upset and, and, you know, just internally, like I don't get, you know, voice that to anybody, but like internally, I'm like, what is going on? Like, why can't we just get on the plane and go? Yeah. It's that perspective, right? You know, and, and there are people that are dealing with things that are far greater than what I am almost every single day, right? And sometimes we need that, right? To, again, that empathy that I was talking about with Brooks, sometimes we get so caught up in ourselves and in our inner circle that we need those little reminders to remind ourselves that, you know, we take a lot of things. I know I do take a lot of things for granted. Yeah. That's, yeah. That, that comparative suffering that Brene talked about back in March or April was powerful that we're going to, yeah, you, you, it was real for you. You were exhausted. You wanted to get home. You were done. And, but we can't compare that to someone else, but we do sometimes and the reality that that, and I like the humility that comes with that to go, yeah, my frustration, my pain is real. And yet there's some other things that are, yeah. Cause I got to believe how many people that might be tuned in here are looking at their own situation going, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. Yeah. I need it. And then they look at someone else who lost a family member or somebody and they go, Oh no, no, that doesn't matter. Well, it's uh, you were still tired that day. You still wanted to yeah. get there but it kind of helps you relax into it. And um, that that's why I love the term holding space because sometimes I see my neighbor who's getting really upset and anxious about something. I'm like, come on, man, you know, but I don't know the backstory. And so I want to hold space because sometimes 20 minutes later or two days later, they look and go, I'm okay. Or, Hey, I'm sorry for how it was. And that whole idea of holding space for each other. And that's one of the things I appreciate about our friendship. Like you said early, it's not all that much, you know, but I think for educators, I see a lot of administrators on people, uh, principals for principals, just encouraging each other, coaching each other. I think a lot of teachers are doing that. I know the CATA folks, the Renaissance folks, the leader and me folks, a lot of people who have those shared associations are able to lift each other up. I just yeah. wonder how many people look across the Zoom call and go, I'm thankful for you. 
just yeah. because of that, just little nod. And, you know, Paul Doles with his three minutes on Thursdays, you know, and just little things that they might think, oh, it's no big deal. When Rhett did that podcast with me, I got an email a week later from a friend that just said I needed that so bad. We had just made some really hard choices and we knew we made some mistakes, but we had to keep going with stuff. And she goes, when he said, look, I've made plenty of mistakes, she goes, I'm so glad to hear somebody else do that. And they've never met. And I hope someday they will because they're both amazing people. But I love the fact that she was able to take some juice from somebody and apply it to her. So those of you that are reaching out and encouraging people, thank you. Because um, I know it's keeping me going. It's keeping me encouraged. It's a huge deal. And you talked about Paul. He does his three-minute Thursdays. Then he also does his, I don't know what he calls it, but his musical Fridays where he'll play a song um, and do a cover song on Friday. And I just love it. Like I look forward to it every single week. Uh, because I know that he's such a genuine, wholesome person and he speaks straight from the heart and he speaks straight to my heart. So I love things like that. You talked about self-care and taking care of yourself. And you said this morning, you've already had your bike ride and and the sauna. What else do you do to take care of you? Um, One of the really cool gifts that's come out of this um, COVID experience is because I'm not on the road hundred days a year, Lori and I, every morning we start out, she gets up before I do. I stay up later. She, she goes to bed earlier. So we, I come out pour my tea. She's uh, has her coffee and we sit on the couch for probably 20, 30 minutes and we just talk and who knows what's on our mind. Then we read together um, for 20, 30 minutes. Then we go for a walk when we can. Uh, we walk most days. Um, so one of the things I'm trying to do is get five to seven miles a day of some type of walking. Um, I, as some of you know, I like to golf. So when I can, I push the golf cart because I want those steps. Um, another, she's got this Peloton and I, she's done a hundred and some rides. I've done 17 or 18, but I know it's good for me. That push. Um, I've been trying to do saunas. We have one, the home that we bought had one and I've lived here for three years and I probably used it. 20 times, but I know it's healthy for me to get the sweat out, especially this time of year. Um, I'm eating. I mean, I went on keto about two months ago for two weeks, lost 15 pounds. And so I used to get on the scale twice a month. Now I'm getting on every day to go, dude, I went up a pound or two. I got to quit eating them cookies. You know, Lori was making uh, homemade cookies and granola yesterday. I had too many. So today is like pure keto, man. I'm going to get myself down in that 20 or 30 carbs because I want to manage it. I feel energy is, I heard a quote recently. It said, your energy speaks before you say a word. Your energy speaks. When you walk in somewhere, our energy, and I I want to have that great energy. I'm 58 right now. I'm reading the book Younger Next Year right now. um, Second time because it talks about energy. And I want to be that 70 or 80 year old who's doing cool stuff. And, um, you know, we don't get there by being lazy in our 50s and all of a sudden, boom, 70 year olds old, you got you're this rock star. So um, that's what I'm trying to do is take care of myself. And then relationships. I want to spend time with healthy people. I was listening to a podcast, Brene Brown interviewed Dax Shepard and Tim Ferriss. And one of them said, you know, we hear this quote, your income will be a reflection of the five people you spend most time with. So if you average out your income and your five best friends, there's an, it's an average. And I'm like, okay, well, they, people said the five latest books you've read, what Dax Shepard, I think it was, or Tim Ferriss said, he said, it goes deeper than that. Your DNA is affected by the five people you spend most time with your mindset. All it was brilliant. And I just realized I want to be really thoughtful about the people I spend time with because their conversation, their attitude, their energy bleeds over into my heart, my life, my, my mindset. And I want to be really thoughtful. So that, that's a new way for me to care for myself is really go, I, I, if you would move next door, two things would happen. You could drive the Charger more often or the Challenger and you would bleed off on me, PC. Why you went to Minnesota? I guess they were hiring and I wasn't, but dude, we have a house next door for sale. See, there you, there you go. Well, with COVID, it's like you can work from anywhere, right? So you never you know. Yourself on it. Come on, brother. Warm no, we- I, I, I love that. And, and if your income is on the, five, the average of the five people that you talk to the most, then I need to hang out with you. That'll help my average income go up, right? Oh, man. Yeah. You'd be so impressed this year. Shoot. <laughs> COVID and cash are on the opposite ends of the continuum for me. So, so tell me about you. What are you doing to take care of you during all this? Well, it's funny. You were talking about weight loss. And so I've actually lost a lot of weight as well. Um, I run every day. And so I run usually five to seven miles. 
every single day. Um, and it's funny, I was talking, I was with uh, John Jensen out in Colorado about a week or two ago. And I'm a UFC fan. He's a UFC fan. Of course, Conor McGregor's fighting on January, I think the 23rd, and he's fighting at 155. And so I've told him that in my mind, I'm getting ready for that fight with Connor, right? And so just last week I went under 160. And so I'm getting ready for checking in at that 155 mark, you know. So McGregor, he better be ready come January, you know. Um, I, I would last about two and a half seconds with any of those guys, whatever. But in my mind, that's kind of how I've like challenged myself to get to that point. So lightest I've been probably since God bless, probably since I was 22, 23 years old, I would say. Um but yeah, just, just things like that. And then like you talked about, just the healthy relationships. It's just talking to people. You know, I check in with people every single day. Um, how's it going? What's happening? You know, how's life treating you? Even if it's through social media, um, because you're getting a lot of looks into people's lives right now, I think that you didn't get previously through social media. So that's been cool too, man. Yeah, that's cool. Well, good for you on getting that that Connor McGregor weight. I just start calling you Connor. I was be like, Lori, Connor just moved in next door. He brought Tara and Brooks with him, and she was like, yes, the neighborhood is safer now. So. <laughs> right, right. These big guns, right? You know. That's right, man. But you know what? The impact you're having, I think, is maybe a little bit more a different significance than Connor McGregor. So that's well, uh, yeah. Pretty cool. So, all right. So as we wrap this up, man, because some of these people are like, dude, I have a life. I got to get off this thing. <laughs> I hope they don't know they can go off anytime they want. So um, what is something when you look back on the last five years, what's something you're proud of? You're like, you know, I put a lot of energy, time, and I'm going to talk about your marriage or your kid. Those are cool. We trust that. But what is something you look on your life? Yeah, that is, I'm proud of myself. That was a good thing. Oh, man, I think just what I get to do every single day, Phil, when I'm working with educators and I'm working with student leaders, I went to my first Johnson Renaissance National Conference. This was in the summer of 2011. Didn't know anything about it. I didn't care anything about it. Um, professional development sucked. It was horrible. Um, most of the teachers that I knew in my area dreaded it because uh, it was just it was speakers that were out of touch and didn't know what they like. It was it was horrible. Um, and so my Jocelyn's rep, Chad Bone, who I always tell him, like, he, he changed my life because he did. He was like, you got to go to this conference. It's in Orlando. So I'm like, all right, whatever. I'll do that. Because Orlando to me means Disney World. Like, I'm going to Disney World. I'll check out this conference. And so that's what I did. And you've been to it. Like, the energy and the electricity that's in that room, you can't describe it to somebody. You've got to see that thing to believe it. And my jaw just hit the floor. I was like, whoa. Why is professional development? Why is professional learning? Why doesn't it look like this every single time, right? And I sat in the very back of the room and I can just remember like thinking to myself, I want to be up there, right? I want to be up there with the Steve Bowlers and with the Paul Dolls and with all those rock star educators. And then quickly that became that change from I want to be up there to I want to be up there on that mm -hmm. stage, right? And so I was very fortunate over the last nine years you know we used that stuff on our campus had tremendous success with it and then i had the opportunity to join the team and so what am i most proud of i would say that i'm most proud of, of the speaker that i am today versus the speaker that i was on september the 6th of 2016 that was the first time that i ever spoke as as a professional speaker we were in fort dodge iowa um joss and renaissance tour stop me and Mike, I got up there. I did my thing. I thought I knew how to speak, right? Because I presented at conferences before. I'd done breakouts before. Whatever. I did my thing. Felt pretty good about myself. And then Mike got up there and spoke. And you've seen him before. Like, he's phenomenal. And he blew me off the stage. And I was just like, oh, God. <laughs> like, what have I gotten into here, right? But the great thing about Mike is that from day one, he took me under his wing. And so literally, Phil, every single day, still to this day when we're together, every single day, when we get done, we'll break it down. What was good? What was bad? How can we fix it? How can we build it back up? And he molded me and he transformed me into the speaker that I am today to the point that now, and I can do the same thing with him. I'll be like, hey, you missed that joke today, right? You missed that line that you always say, or you said it, you didn't enunciate this word the way that you normally do to get the reaction out of the audience, you know? Um, so just that, that transformation and that growth for me, um, that's something that that I'm really, really proud of. And I'm really proud of the things that we've done uh, through Jocelyn's Renaissance, 
in terms of helping more schools, especially over the course of this last nine months, we have produced so much content um, from how to teach remotely to social emotional health, to staff motivation, to um, student motivation as well, to educational equity. Like we've done these equity panels that are just phenomenal. And so I'm really, really proud of our team and just the Renaissance community. And you spoke to this a little bit earlier. To me, that's the greatest thing about it is the people. It's the Reds, it's the Bowlers, it's the Tinas, it's the Valerie's, it's the Pauls. It's, it's the people that you can reach out to and say, hey, I'm really struggling with whether it's something with school or whether it's something with life. And they're not gonna judge you and they're gonna love you right through the entire thing. And that's a special, special thing. That's a special group of people to get to say that you're a part of. Congratulations. That's cool, man. Very cool. And so, and so what about you? I think two things. Um, number one is I, I got real clear. I, I read a book 10, 15 years ago called Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl. And I, I just reread it again. Um, over the last couple of weeks. And I, I recognize that my gift is to encourage people. And then I recognize a few years ago, my job is to encourage the encouragers. And that's been something I've really focused on the last couple of years. It's just th those of the folks who are day to day with people, not just with kids, administrators who are with parents and with other educators. Um, if, if my gift is to encourage them in some little way, through a, a handwritten note, a text, a phone call, a call like this. That's um, so I think that my team has done the same. Our team has done good work on that. Um, the other thing, and it's maybe it's cheating a little bit because I told you not to tell me about Brooks or Tara, but I look back and Micah Jacobson, um, who bought Link Crew from us and ran Boomerang Project for years. There's now a Salesforce. He told me one time when I was raising my kids, he said, I've never found anybody who was as intentional about raising kids as you and Lori are. And I took that as a compliment then, but I told him, I said, the greatest impact I can ever have on my grandkids is the way I raise my kids. But what's really fun for Lori and I now is to watch our children raise kids. And Today is my daughter-in-law's birthday and a tradition Lori had when our kids were little, they would come into the room for breakfast and she would have like a tablecloth. She'd take a bunch of candy and sprinkle it on the table and like, you know, Skittles or M&Ms and then she'd have some things hanging and they knew it was their birthday. Well, they sent us a picture this morning of Cody and Michelle's house with their two little boys who were two and almost five. And he had created the same thing. He had this whole decoration for breakfast and we, and, and they, they bought acreage. We always raise our kids on acreage because, you know, it wasn't expensive. We lived on a dirt road at one point in Colorado, but to watch our kids try to create the same experience for their kids. Our youngest son, Sean, now is living in Carmel, um, renting, but hoping to buy a home someday there. He walks his son down to the beach. It's a half mile walk. They go down six or seven days a week and just watching our kids um, you know, to see little Miles who's three and a half cough into his elbow. Um, I picked him up Thursday from um, school last week and he comes walking out of his daycare. And first he says, hey, Pops, how was your trip? I mean, he's asking me questions like, and my, my son-in-law's grandmother's been in the hospital. So he sees that other grandpa. First thing he says is, Grandpa, how's, a, how's Mama's heartbeat? How, how's her blood pressure? You know, just, so I'm just loving the fact that our kids are now raising really cool human beings. And so that's something that's really cool to, to watch and be a part of, just to watch at a distance because I don't get to parent anymore. I just get to joy and just see that and go, oh my gosh, that dirty diaper is yours. You know, so that's, uh, that's something that I'm excited about. Very cool. Personal before professional, as you always say, right? Yeah, let's be people first and professional second. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. And last question I want to ask you, which stems off of, the story that you just told as a grandparent, have you suffered from the disease where you forget the word no? And I ask this because, and I know that my mom is watching here right now. My son can do anything that he wants to. If he wants cookies for dinner, if he wants this, if he wants that, and oh sure Brooks we can do that and I'm like mom who are you and what what happened to you and so as a grandparent have you forgotten how to say the word no to these grandkids 
Um, no, I got to be honest. Um, Lori's dad, he's oil field, man. He modeled it really well. He says, adults don't need to teach kids how to play. Kids play on their own. What, what are you, why are you on the floor playing with a kid? Kids play with kids. And so I had that mindset. And so like yesterday I took miles with me, I had to pick up some things at Walmart. Well, you know, you get to the checkout counter and it's Disneyland for kids. And I remember him saying years ago to one of our kids, we don't buy things in this aisle. This is for other people. <laughs> I was like, Mom, can we get this? And I just said, we don't buy things in this aisle. This is for other people. And he goes, okay. So I'm putting that mindset. So, so, uh, Miss Campbell, Phil's mom, um, you know, be strong, whatever you want to do, do your thing. But um, we as grandparents have to stand together and say, you know what, if it's the best decision for you and Brooks right then, take him to Disneyland, even if his dad's never been, you know, whatever. So that's the joy of grandparenting. We get to enjoy those moments. And I, uh, I love being pops. It's the, it's the second coolest thing I ever got to do because the coolest thing was to raise kids with Lori. And that was remarkable. So I love uh, it, man. This has I been great, it. man. What a great way to get into Christmas. I appreciate you, Phil. Thank you so much for this hour or whatever it's been. No, yeah, I appreciate you too. And like I said, it started out, it was just going to be a conversation. And then it was like, let's make it a podcast. And it was like, let's go live on Facebook. Why not? Right. So just want to say shout out to everybody that tuned in and watched and everybody that's going to listen um, to the podcast as well. And you know this, but I'll, I'll tell you again, like I think the absolute world of you and I'm like honored and blessed to be able to call you a friend, Phil. And I like you so much. I want to move next door. Bring that challenger, buddy. And tell <laughs> let's do it, man. It's, I, I wish I could show you how, how sunny it is outside today. So no white snow anywhere. So I'm going to oh. bust you, recruit you. And so, all right, all of our friends listening, we wish you a happy holidays. And if Christmas is your gig, Merry Christmas. If it's not, then we wish you uh, two weeks of rest and refreshment. Yep. See you guys. All right. Cheers. Guys, you've been listening to the Green Room Podcast Series. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoy the podcast, if you do me a huge favor, if you would rate it, subscribe to it, and then share it with a fellow educator that you think might enjoy it as well. Chase your dreams, kids. Mm -hmm.